Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. This week's report is written to those who are discouraged because Israel has a new government called a unity government, which to some means their expectations of a nascent Sanhedrin-led Israeli government is unfulfilled. Sometimes what we know must happen does happen, but we don't recognize it because it didn't happen the way we thought. That an event did not unfold as we expected does not mean it isn't fulfilled, however. Often Yahweh fulfills His will in unexpected ways. I believe Israel's unity government has fulfilled the rise of Jerusalem as Mystery Babylon, a religious state governed by the nascent Sanhedrin. To understand what has just happened to the entire globe and what will continue to happen, we need to get our heads out of American politics and into Israeli politics. I hate politics, but it is the machine forming and feeding the new global government now headed by Israel. More importantly, this new government is now controlled by the Sanhedrin and is a danger to all human life on earth. I will from here refer to the nascent Sanhedrin as just the Sanhedrin. Before I begin, let me remind everyone that I am a Zionist, a biblical Zionist, And when I mention the Jews, if I happen to not say religious Jews, just know that I mean religious Jews, not cultural Jews. It is important to make these distinctions. All the prophets, Yeshua and the apostles, all made these distinctions, and I am following their lead. Thus, My comments are not against Biblical Zion or the Biblical people from the house of Judah or the house of Israel. My comments are a protest against Mystery Babylon that has now been formed under our very noses while everyone was paying attention to the global lockdown under COVID-19. Now let's take a look at how the Knesset is stacked. Two years after the Jewish state bill became law by their Babylonian Zionist and anti-biblical annexationist agenda. First on the list you have blue and white. That leader is Benny Gantz. They got three seats. Guess what? They are a pro-sovereignty party. I'm going to explain what that means. Likud under Benjamin Netanyahu, 32 seats a pro-sovereignty party. Shas under Aryeh Derry, nine seats, that's a pro-sovereignty party. Yisrael Beitenu under Avigdor Lieberman, eight seats, supports annexation and Zionism, but is not a halakhic uh, religious state guy. Uh, However, he is a pro-sovereign person. He believes in Israel's sovereignty. United Torah Judaism, UTJ, under Yaakov Litzman, pro-sovereignty. Yamina, Ayelet Shaked, pro-sovereignty. Labor Gesher, under Amir Peretz, six seats. That's a centrist labor party that has now joined with Netanyahu's coalition, making it a sovereignty party. Those total seats are 102 out of 120. Then we also have Jewish Knesset members that do not support annexation. Democratic Union under Nitzan Horowitz with five seats. They want a two-state solution. The Palestinian Knesset members do not support annexation, obviously. It's under the joint list, led by Eamon O'Day, and they, they have 
13 seats. So you can see that the pro-sovereignty parties are ahead, way ahead in seats in the Knesset compared to those who are not pro-sovereignty. What do I mean when I say pro-sovereignty? I will explain more later, but the word sovereignty has a two-fold definition in Israel's dictionary, which is different from what other English-speaking people understand, and that can be stated this way. A Jewish religious state in which only religious, orthodox, and ultra-orthodox Jews live. Non-Jews are no longer welcome, including Christians, even though the Jews need Christians to help the rise of Mystery Babylon, so the Jews won't be kicking Christians out of Israel for a while. Cultural Jews will not be welcome either, nor will Reform, Conservative, Messianic, or other sectarian Jews who are not connected to Kabad, as is every leading member of the Sanhedrin and the leaders and most of the MKs in the new unity government. The Sanhedrin, a Zionist and annexationist organization, you know, pro-sovereignty, now rules Israel by influence, not election. Sanhedrin's representation in the 2020 Knesset is now 102 seats for the Babylonian Zionist anti-biblical annexation agenda. The Sanhedrin does not need to be announced as the ruling body. In fact, to bring the Sanhedrin to the forefront now would be to expose all the secret agendas they are about to cause the Knesset to legislate. Annexation of the West Bank is only the beginning of the changes the Sanhedrin will use the Knesset to make in Israel now. The governance of Israel's religious Sanhedrin began with the Knesset's vote on the Jewish state bill in July 2018. The bill was signed into law in the same year that Israel declared a jubilee for the house of Judah while leaving out all the other tribes of Jacob from the house of Israel. Yahweh punished the house of Judah in the time of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 34, because of their rebellion over the Shemitahs and Jubilees by exiling them to Babylon. Read that chapter. Jerusalem was under Babylonian siege. Yahweh gave them another chance to stop their exile by commanding them to keep the Jubilee. Zedekiah declared liberty to all the Hebrew servants. Yahweh stopped Babylonians' invasion. But when the Jubilee was over, the religious Jews violated the Jubilee by re-enslaving their Hebrew servants. Jeremiah 34.11 Yahweh brought the sword on them, and they went into Babylon for punishment. Yeshua alluded to that punishment every time he mentioned the 70 times 7 years or the 7 times 7 years. 70 times 7 is 490 times that we are to forgive others because that is the number of jubilees and shemitahs the Jews violated. The 7 times 7 years is always also a reference to the jubilees. The Jews repeated their jubilee sin in 2018 by not allowing the ingathering of all Israel's tribes. Remember, scripturally, only four tribes are with them, although we know that some from the house of Israel have converted to Judaism over the last 2,700 years. That is why Ezekiel talks about Judah and his companions in Ezekiel 37. Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, has companions. Who are they? People from the house of Judah, 
starting with those Jews who believed in Yeshua both before and after his death and resurrection and who have converted to Christianity to join the house of Israel who were trapped in that religion also there are in both houses those that were ger or strangers who converted to Judaism and Christianity Yahweh is consistent you better believe he is I reported as soon as the Jews violated Yahweh's word in 2018 that he would bring them trouble and they have had nothing but trouble ever since and they're about to get more trouble the rise of mystery Babylon will likely not go as smoothly as most people think and it won't happen suddenly as most people think either although in light of the earth's history mystery Babylon's rise will be seen as sudden and its lifespan like nothing more than a puff of smoke especially for the damage it's going to do to those living through the mystery Babylon process though it won't be an overnight appearance it will take some time and what happened the first time Yahweh gave the religious Jews a chance to lead Israel in keeping the Jubilee correctly but they disobeyed him they were sent into Babylon what will happen this time that they have ignored his word and refused to let all Israel come home thus violating the Jubilee again he will send them into Babylon again only this time they become Babylon mystery Babylon Yahweh is consistent the nation Sanhedrin is now a de facto ruling body pushing the building of a third temple and taking all of the land of Israel for the house of Judah leaving out the house of Israel's Ephraimites the three elections in Israel were brought by Yahweh himself to begin the political state of Israel's destruction by forcing Jerusalem to rise as mystery Babylon Yahweh's monkey wrench in Israel's politics has caused a shifting of politicians and mergers between parties like nothing seen before in the modern state of Israel the result of which is a new Israeli government that now operates at the behest of the nation Sanhedrin for the first time in modern Israel's history a majority of Knesset members are in full or partial agreement with the Sanhedrin's agenda to take control of Temple Mount all of Jerusalem all of the West Bank and to make Israel into a Jewish only state the only partial detractor of Israel as a religious state is Avigdor Lieberman he is though in favor of everything else he's going to find out he can't have all those other things without Israel becoming a religious state what fuels the rise of Jerusalem as mystery Babylon Babylonian Zionism leading to anti-biblical annexation of the West Bank the territory that belongs to the house of Israel and the possible ouster of the Palestinians from their ancient Sumerian West Bank land into the neighboring country of Jordan you can see my other articles regarding the Jordan option another stacking of the non-biblical Zionist deck has been through ministerial appointments Likud has appointed 18 posts blue and white 17 Shas 2 United Torah Judaism 1 labor 2 Gesher labor 1 Bayit Yehudi 1 that is 42 ministries and they are all held by right-wingers except for the ministry given to the Gesher party that appointment has a special exception for a special reason the Gesher party's leader Orly Levi Abacacus is a pivotal member of Knesset hopes are pinned on her to lead Israel's anti-Zionists and anti-annexationists into the fold 
Yes, not everyone in Israel is a Babylonian Zionist or an anti-biblical annexationist. In fact, most of those people are deemed secular and they have been placed in the category of anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist by Israel's religious Jews. You can click on my article about that for more details on this fact. Orly Levy-Ebacaucus entered the Knesset in 2009 as the representative of Yisrael Beitenu, Avigdor Lieberman's party, but left it in 2017 to sit as an independent. She formed Gesher in December 2018 and ran in the April 2019 elections. Although the party failed to win a seat, she returned to the Knesset following the September 2019 elections by running with the Labour Party, another of the Zionist Party's mergers. The Labour Party was given six ministries. Levi Abacacus's ministry was one of them when, in May of 2020, she was appointed Minister of the newly created Community Empowerment and Advancement by Prime Minister Netanyahu. The office didn't exist until this past week, and she was not part of Netanyahu's coalition government until this past week. But guess what happened with Levi? Levi Abacacus, rather. Netanyahu made a deal with her. In the deal is a clause, Clause 8. What is Clause 8? It is a special clause between Likud and Gesher parties. Now, why was there a need for such a special clause? Because Gesher is a liberal and centrist political party, but Gesher joined with Labor last July 2019, and Labor was not in the Likud fold then as it is now. So Netanyahu needed a special deal if Levi Abacacus were to have this newly created place in Israel's government. He couldn't simply allow her to continue expressing her liberal politics over his plans and stirring up trouble in the Knesset. No, he had to find a way to silence her and, what's more, to get her support for his plans. Here is what he did. For the 2020 March elections, Gesher Labor unified with merits in light of worries that neither party would pass the 3.2% threshold needed to enter the Knesset. Many Gesher voters were surprised at this merger because when it comes to the politics of the Arab-Israel conflict, Gesher was seen as more of a center-right party, while Meretz is a center-left party. To keep herself in the Knesset, Levi Abacacus moved left. Then, Meretz Gesher joined with Labor because they were still way down in the polls, but the newly merged Labor Meretz Gesher was still to the center left, but this is exactly the reason Netanyahu wanted her. It has to do with Clause 8 of her ministerial contract with Netanyahu's government. Clause 8 is the marginal and smallest coalition agreement signed between Likud and Gesher, headed by Orly Levi-Abacacus, who ran with a left-wing alliance in Israel's general election on March 2nd, and it exposes everything about Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's real annexation strategy. Gesher pledges to support all the stances expressed by the Prime Minister that are coordinated with the United States and directly or indirectly linked to the issue of applying sovereignty to the West Bank, the clause says, adding that Gesher is obligated to support Netanyahu in the Knesset or the government Uh, votes as well as on Knesset committees. 
after running in the last two elections, first only with the Labour Party and then within a broad left-wing alliance with Labour merits, she broke away because she objected to a Gantz-led government that would rely on the votes of Arab Party members. As centrist and centrist right, as Orly is, she still does not want to deal with Arabs. And that, folks, is her qualification for the pivotal new post of Community Development Minister. So, what is Levi Abacacus's true role now in Israel's government? Well, just to do whatever she is told to uphold everything Netanyahu does in relation to the West Bank and to bring the secular and centrist Jews with her. She is influential with secular Jews and it is the secular left-wing Jews that the Sanhedrin now needs to get in its grip. Orly Levy Ebacacus is the cog they hope will unite secular Jews with their right-wing nascent Sanhedrin agenda. Netanyahu stacked the Zionist annexationist deck by creating new ministries and cobbling new portfolios from existing ones to get the support of those MKs who might oppose the Sanhedrin's and Netanyahu's agenda. And if you don't think Netanyahu is in the Sanhedrin's pocket, think again. Now, Benny Gantz got into the Make New Ministries ring to reward everyone who helped him win the power seat for an upcoming 18 months by creating a new vice prime minister office. He also showed his appreciation for Haredi support by appointing a Haredi woman as, get this, diaspora Affairs Ministry. I have reported in the past that Israel's diaspora reform and conservative Jews feel distanced from the state of Israel now since 2018. The Diaspora Affairs Office is to encourage all Jews to make Aliyah. But this ministry is no longer encouraging reform and conservative Jews to make Aliyah. It's going after the Haredi, most of whom are in the United States and most of those are in New York City. Religious Jews really don't want Jews that are not Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox. And you can see my earlier articles about that for details on the rise of this situation over the last two years. The real benefactors from Netanyahu's coalition are the Haredi ultra-Orthodox parties. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rewarded far-right religious parties, Shas and United Torah Judaism, for their loyalty over the course of the last three elections. The Haredi, ultra-Orthodox parties, did not demand much in the way of ministries, but wanted to ensure that they were awarded positions with far more power and influence than the newly minted ministries, such as water resources, that were given to Likud politicians. As a result, the power of Shas and UTJ on economic issues will almost match that of the much larger Likud and Kahol Levan parties. You know how it goes. He who controls the money controls the people. But it goes further than that, according to this article.
Litzman demanded that, as housing minister, he would also chair the Ministerial Land and Housing Committee and serve as chairman of the Israel Land Authority, the agency that manages state-owned land. Derry ensured that he would have the power to appoint the chairperson of the National Planning and Building Council, as well as the head of the Committee for Planning and Building of Infrastructure and the Committee on Priority Home Construction. And that's in addition to regional committees. You know, he won't be appointing anyone who would give land and housing permits to Palestinians, you know, just for instance. UTJ negotiated to have Knesset member Uri Maklev named Deputy Transportation Minister with special responsibility for the Haredi sector. Hmm. UTJ's Mir Parush was named Deputy Education Minister. Oh, we're going to have the Haredi education in the schools. Yitzhak Cohen of Shas will resume his post as Deputy Finance Minister and his party will have two other Deputy Ministers at the Interior and Labor Ministries. The two parties will also wield immense power on economic issues in the Knesset. UTJ's Moshe Gaffney will remain chairman of the powerful Knesset Finance Committee, giving him a critical say in the next budget, which must be approved by Parliament within 90 days. And I have reported on how Netanyahu has begun using public sector money for the military in preparation for war with Iran, but that also be funneled to pay for the coming war with Jordan in the West Bank. You can read more about that in a previous Beastwatch News report that I have linked here, where I said I believe Netanyahu was saying the money was going to fight Iran, but was actually going to the Diaspora Affairs Ministry, which will bring Haredi Jews to the West Bank. For the first time, a Shas lawmaker will chair the Economic Affairs Committee. Yaakov Margi is likely to get the job. Fiscal policy will be especially challenging in the coming years as the Treasury copes with the ballooning deficit created by the coronavirus crisis. UTJ made sure that the coalition agreements with Likud include a national plan for developing the ultra-Orthodox sector. Read Diaspora Affairs Ministry which will likely receive increased funding to reach out to the diaspora Haredi. They will likely get bribes of money for moving to Israel. We shall see. Meanwhile, Derry ensured that he retained control of two government funds with big budgets, one for reducing the impact of revenue disparities among local authorities, which has 500 million shekels to spend annually, and a second that distributes municipal tax payments paid by Ben Gurion International Airport to adjacent communities. Last year, it had about 200 million shekels to allocate. Actually, the two parties took care to ensure that all the government funding of ultra-Orthodox educational institutions is now incorporated into the annual state budget. In the past, about a quarter of their 1.2 billion shekel budgets depended on coalition agreements. Rafi Peretz, the renegade Yamina Knesset member who joined the Netanyahu government, got the same commitment for religious Zionist educational and cultural institutions, which will also enjoy budgets entirely enshrined in the state budget from now on. In addition, Peretz, who will serve as Jerusalem Affairs Minister in the new government, won an agreement in principle that his Habayit Hayahudi party uh, would be merged into Likud.
If the deal goes through, Likud will assume the debts that his religious Zionist party ran up during the 2019-2020 election cycle. In his speech to the Knesset, presumptive opposition leader Yair Lapid from Yeshatid said the new ministers should be ashamed. We have more ministers and deputy ministers than patients on life support due to the coronavirus, he said. It's not just the waste, it's the contempt, the complete contempt for the crisis facing the Israeli public. Instead of helping them, you're creating irrelevant ministries, hiring more drivers, buying more cars, adding budgets and hiring associates, all at their expense. What Lapid doesn't know is that Jerusalem will need all this money for it to fulfill buying the imports listed in Revelation 18. Most of those imported materials will be to support the coming temple. It wasn't so long ago that Israel was a democratic state. Though non-Jews in Israel have always been heavily discriminated against, there was at least a modicum of acknowledgement of non-Jews. But at this point, though, non-Jews, Palestinians, Druze, other Arabs are second-class people and no longer even regarded as citizens of Israel. They are now residents of Israel. Residents, not citizens. How did Israel go from the only democracy in the Middle East to leaving the Middle East with no democracy by becoming a Jewish religious state? And what does it mean that Israel is now a religious state? This Haaretz article how a group of Jewish terrorists ended up in Israel's halls of power tells part of the story. Jewish terrorists are troubled, rebellious youths who have somehow gone astray, distant from Israel's core values. That's the stereotype most Israelis have of their fellow citizens who commit violent acts against Arabs in pursuit of their far-right political agenda. A new documentary series, The Jewish Underground, airing on the Yes Doko channel in Israel, aims to shatter that persistent stereotype that Jewish terrorists are troubled, rebellious youth who have somehow gone astray, distant from Israel's core values, by telling the story of the country's most notorious Jewish terrorists who remain anything but outsiders. As former Jewish underground member Yehuda Etzion, convicted and imprisoned for his participation in terrorist activities and one of the series' stars, tells director Shai Gall, we are aiming at the same target. We are just using different means. As a young member of the movement, Etzio, I'm sorry, Etzion participated in the plot to blow up the Muslim holy site on the Temple Mount, hoping it would lead to a holy war that would result in Jewish victory. Today, he is the leader of a group that works to promote Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount and to revive ancient traditions like animal sacrifice. Indeed, Gaul's series opens with a nighttime reenactment of the Passover sacrifice, the flames of the pyre flickering on Etzion's face. The group that became known as the Jewish Underground was an offshoot of the settler movement that evolved into a vigilante cell and began to carry out revenge attacks on Palestinians. Another revelation is the fact that the core leaders of the vigilante cell came from the mainstream, not the fringes, of Israeli society. These men were part of the mainstream settler leadership. One was the secretary of Gush Emunim. Another was working at Hebron and Kiryat Arba's city hall. One was a pilot in the Israel Air Force. There were several sons-in-law of important rabbis.
Here's a huge clue. The important rabbis in Israel are mostly orthodox and ultra-orthodox. This Jewish terrorist cell operated with the approval of these rabbis. These men were also sons-in-law of senior IDF staff. These were not outsiders. What really grabbed Gaul's attention was when he took a close look at where some of the key perpetrators are today. Two are key settler leaders. Zev Hever is Secretary General of Amana, a cooperative that builds settlement homes in the West Bank. His stated goal is to settle a million Jews in the next decade. Another underground leader, Natan Nathanson, is a close political associate of Habayit HaYehudi leader Naftali Bennett, who is also education minister. Members of this Jewish underground who has been convicted for terrorist activity are now holding positions of power in the highest levels of the Israeli government, said Gall. Even the three Jewish underground members convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison for their roles in the Islamic College shooting had their sentences commuted by then-President Kaim Herzog. By December 1990, all of them were free after serving less than seven years in prison. That is where the third episode hammers home the story's central message. The Jewish terrorists emerged from their relatively short sentences to fanfare and celebrations, unrepentant and buoyed by the support they had received from their community. In subsequent years, they have reestablished themselves in positions of influence, moving the country in their desired direction. None of them ever said anything to me like, I was young and stupid when I did these things, Gall notes. They are proud of what they did. In an illustration of how the Jewish underground's agenda has gone mainstream, Gaul's film concludes with a Seekers of Zion convention in the Knesset held in 2017 honoring Temple Mount activists. Leading political figures like Knesset Speaker Yuli Edelstein and Public Security Minister Gilad Erdan showed up to laud the activist cause with slides of a rebuilt temple, the Dome of the Rock, nowhere in sight, projected on the wall. Unrepentant, the zealot leader Yehuda Etzion and his mates continued to make plans for the third temple, but now their numbers have multiplied and they have moved from the margin into the centers of political power. Folks, all of this happened under the watchful eye and tutelage of the Herodim, what we call ultra Orthodox. This Times of Israel article says the Herodim could destroy Israel. And this is partly true because of how they back Jewish terrorists. An August 2015 article, far right rabbinical group Penn's letter calling Jewish terror suspects praiseworthy, says, a rabbinical organization called the Sanhedrin, <laughs> yeah, which includes several prominent rabbis from the hardline wing of the national religious community and from the Haredi ultra-orthodox sector, wrote letters of support to the ten men who have been banned from entering Judea and Samaria on Sunday by the Shin Beit. The restraining orders were issued against the individuals due to the intelligence agency's suspicion that they are involved in Jewish extremist groups and activities in the area. 
The move follows other tough measures against such individuals and groups by the security services following the murder of Saad Dawabsha, 32, and his 18-month-old son, Ali, in an arson attack in the Palestinian village of Duma last month. That was in 2015. Praiseworthy are you who represent an example and an inspiration to rabbinical judges and to all the faithful of Israel. And this is why John said these people are murderers. He who redeemed Israel in the days of Greece. You know, they keep going back to this thing about their conquest uh, over Greece. Okay, so let's just go with that for a minute. I'm going off the grid here with this little speech. I am tired of hearing Jews talk about how Judea belongs only to the Jews and Israel belongs only to the Jews, including the northernmost parts all the way down to the southernmost parts because they overcame the Greeks. Yahweh's glory was not in that temple. They were still being punished. Just because they were back in the land doesn't mean their exile was over. Exile is over, folks, when Yahweh's glory returns to the temple. So whatever they were able to do by being this kind of person against the Greeks is one thing. But these Palestinians are their ancient stock and they know it. They know that 61% of the Palestinian population in Israel is, according to the DNA, Jewish. But read the scriptures. You know that not all of the tribes went into uh, exile. And you also know that some from Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, who mostly did go into exile, stayed in Israel. Those people are house of Israel and then the Babylonians resettled those who they didn't take from Judea during the Babylonian captivity. They resettled them up in the West Bank, up in Samaria. So there are Jews up there as well. Those people know that they're Jews. There are Palestinians who say we know that we're Jews But these people will kill their own brethren. And you know what? This is why the Gog Magog war is a war between brethren. It's a war between brethren according to Ezekiel 38.21. Okay, so now I'm going to get back to this article. He who redeemed Israel in the days of Greece will be the one who will redeem Israel from the hands of all the dictators as long as they fail to repent quickly before the great and awesome day of God, the text continued. The missive was signed by three rabbis from the Sanhedrin organization, including the head of the group's rabbinical court, Rabbi Yisrael Ariel. Now we're going to learn a little bit about Ariel here in a minute. I have shown you how in less than two years the Knesset has gotten into the grips of a united right-wing government led by the Herodim who are connected to the Sanhedrin. There are five Kabad rabbis, although there are more members than that. Who are they? According to jpost.com, they are prominent rabbis from the hardline wing of the national religious community and from the Haredi ultra-Orthodox sector. Kabad is the name of the ultra-Orthodox movement. The first nation Sanhedrin head rabbi was Aidan Steinsaltz. You can go read about him. Benjamin Netanyahu is connected to Kabad through Steinsaltz. Netanyahu is a student of Steinsaltz, and I have written about Netanyahu's connection to Schneerson. And here is what the Times of Israel report from August 2012 says. Rabbi Adam Evan Israel Steinsaltz was born to a secular family in Jerusalem in 1937. As a teenager, he decided to become religious and joined the Kabad movement. 
In honor of his 80th birthday, the Israel Institute for Talmudic Publications, which Steinsaltz founded in 1965, is opening up its archives and bringing to light his extensive correspondence with top Israeli leaders throughout the generations as well as scholars and statesmen from around the world revealing a little of Israeli history. Organized in chronological order, the letters uncover the rabbi's comprehensive relationship with different people who supported his life's work. The Talmud's translation into Hebrew, which received the name the Steinsaltz Talmud, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Prime ministers from David Ben-Gurion to Benjamin Netanyahu, international figures like former French President Jacques Chirac, and intellectuals and religious figures like Nobel Prize laureate Shmuel Agnon, Shas spiritual leader Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, and others. Remember also that 14 candidates in September 2019's election swore fealty to the now-deceased spiritual head of the Kabad movement, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Also, hear this, Court Justice Scalia of the United States is a student of Steinsaltz and Ron Dermer you know that Florida-born Jew who started in politics working on the 1994 Republican Revolution? Well, he is Benjamin Netanyahu's most influential aide now. It is Ron Dermer who ties America and Israel together, even though Dermer gave up his U.S. citizenship to go into Israel politics after having been so influential in U.S. politics. And he still serves as the Israeli diplomat to the U.S. Ron Dermer's wedding was overseen by Steinsaltz and... Netanyahu is still connected to Kabad and Steinsaltz. In 2018, on the eve of uh, a holiday, an official delegation of Kabad representatives visited the Prime Minister's Sukkah. This was for Sukkot in Jerusalem and gave Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his wife a set of four species. One Kabad representative who came to visit was Manny Evan Yisrael, head of the Steinsalt Center and the son of Rabbi Aden Evan Yisrael Steinsaltz, who celebrated his 80th birthday in the past year, during which Netanyahu revealed he had met with the rabbi several times as a child and learned with him. While the religious Jews were dressed like Westerners in, you know, sleek suits and ties instead of funny hats, curly cues, and gothic black attire, they were there the entire time on both sides of the Atlantic working toward implementing the Kabad Sanhedrin's agenda of sovereignty in Israel. So, again, exactly what does sovereignty mean to the Jews? Well, you know, Israel is not a sovereign nation. It is part of the UN, and that is the reason the first beast of Revelation 13 gives authority to the second beast of Revelation, which is the two-horned lamb beast that speaks like a dragon. So, sovereignty, as in being out of the United Nations, is not the Jews' definition of sovereignty. Sovereignty in the Jewish state's definition means there will be no non-Jews in Israel. You can go to the Sanhedrin links that I have put here and you can read about that. Sovereignty to religious Jews means the establishment of the house of Judah alone within the borders of what is commonly called the promised land. 
there is no room for non-Jews or even non-Orthodox or non-ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel anymore. And what does it mean that Israel is now a religious state? It means that this new state is the basis for Mystery Babylon. I constantly see all over the internet the statement that this Sanhedrin has no authority in Israel. Well, that just ain't so anymore. In fact, that never was so. I mean, they've always pulled the strings. The religious Kabad Haredi are now in control of the Knesset as politicians who are being pulled by the strings by the Sanhedrin and the Knesset's agenda is clearly in line with the Sanhedrin's the power and authority of the Sanhedrin to guide the current 35th Knesset has been in the works since the 1980s when the Jewish underground began its terrorist attacks against Palestinians the Sanhedrin formally formed in 2004 but these men were already working toward a future where Israel would be a religious state so now what is Israel's next move well Netanyahu promised time and again that he would imply sovereignty over Judea and Samaria and it was the promise of the elections but Gantz and Ashkenazi threatened Netanyahu and he capitulated and erased it from the foundational principles of the coalition agreement according to Naftali Bennett Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday presented his new government in the Knesset and said it is time to extend Israeli sovereignty to Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria the time has come to apply Israeli law to settlements and to write another brilliant chapter in the history of Zionism this step will not push away peace this step will bring it closer because peace can be based only on the truth and we all know that hundreds of thousands of settlers in Judea and Samaria our brothers and sisters will forever stay in their places as part of any permanent settle peace settlement rather First Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come on them like birth pangs on a pregnant woman, and they will in no way escape. The time has come for both our neighbors, the Palestinians and the members of this house, to accept this, Netanyahu said, as Arab Knesset members Yusef Jabarin and Sami Abu Shaheda heckled him, saying the Jewish communities were built on the occupation of another nation. The Prime Minister also said the government would fight moves by the International Criminal Court to adopt a Palestinian claim that some Israeli housing built on disputed land constitutes a war crime and prosecute members of the Israeli military for actions in defensive wars started by the Hamas terror group in Gaza. We will fight against the infuriating attempt by the court of charging Israel with the horrible crime of building kindergartens, Netanyahu said. You are afraid of international justice, heckled Jabarin, a member of the Hadash Communist Party and a law professor who got his doctorate degree at Georgetown University. Netanyahu fired back, saying that as a young legislator he too had known of boorish behavior in the house, but he learned that heckling and interrupting the person who had the floor had no effect. I can only give you this advice, because from my many years and depth of experience, I tell you it does not work, Netanyahu said. After reading out the entire list of his cabinet members and their portfolios, Netanyahu told the House that under the Unity Agreement 
Benny Gantz would take over as Prime Minister on November 17, 2021. Then he says this, I request, Mr. Speaker and members of the Knesset, the confidence of the Knesset in the National Unity Government. Asking for the confidence in the National Unity Government is not just a request of the Knesset. The implication includes confidence in the Kabad's Sanhedrin's agenda. The newly sworn-in government of Israel is Kabad with all that means, including Jewish supremacy, converting non-Jews to be Noahides, removing the modern Palestinian people who are the genetic stock of the ancient houses of Israel and Judah. The way Netanyahu speaks now and the latest smirk on his face tells the tale. The Knesset which is there to serve as the public face now of the Sanhedrin, will commence supplying their sovereignty in Israel. Other Knesset members are also calling for this quote-unquote sovereignty. Netanyahu appointed Amir Ohana, the current Minister of Justice, to serve as the public security minister in the newly formed government. He is a man who pledged to fly Israel's flag on Temple Mount. IDF Brigadier General Amir Avivi, founder and director of the Protectors of Israel, called for this quote-unquote sovereignty. Coming from Avivi, that is a call to war with Jordan and spearheads a new mass movement of leadership from retired IDF officials who are no longer afraid to raise their voices against the very strong left-wing bias usually expressed by ex-IDF officials. The U.S. government warmly welcomes the newly sworn in and greatly bloated and stacked against everyone but religious Jews government. This breaking Israel news article says, We have a small window of opportunity right now while Benjamin Netanyahu is Prime Minister and Donald Trump is President of the United States. And remember Ron Dermer that I spoke about a few minutes ago? He is now calling for Israel's sovereignty. He's the one who made the statement, We have a small window of opportunity right now. Israel's ambassador to the U.S., Ron Dermer, is currently lobbying Republican lawmakers as well as White House administration officials to support Jerusalem's efforts in acting quickly to assert Israeli sovereignty over Jewish populated areas of Judea and Samaria, according to Channel 13. Oh, guess where all that extra money that the Jews are putting in the new Knesset budget will go? lobbying efforts in the United States. Dermer reportedly said during his meetings on Capitol Hill, we need to move ahead with annexation now because we don't know what could be the outcome of the presidential elections in November. Joe Biden might win, he said, according to reports. There is a narrow window and we should act now. The question is whether Dermer is more in line with Israel's quest to take all of the West Bank or just the parts in Trump's deal of the century. Right now, the IDF is gearing up in the West Bank for the coming annexation after Israel perceived threats from Jordan's King Abdullah, but the IDF won't be the only military operating in the West Bank when the time comes for annexation, folks. Israel's ex-Shinbait chief predicted Israel's future will be either bad or very bad this past March. He said if Israel adopts the Trump plan, it will trigger a right-wing messianic ideology that will spark chaos. Who, and this comes from Carmi uh, Gillone, who asserts Jewish terrorists are no longer on the margins. Here's who's going to be helping in making this big war mess in the West Bank. A new 
Jewish underground has been getting organized out of sight. They have a more steadfast faith in the righteousness of their path all the way to a state of halakha, that's the traditional religious law, and rule, guess by who? By the Sanhedrin. More rabbis than have ever operated around here will give them all the requisite kosher stamps of approval. More and more outstanding young men with high officers' ranks and yarmulkes believe in the supremacy of the Torah over the state, which is just a loathsome stage on the way to redemption, a new kingdom, and a gold-covered temple in place of that pesky Dome of the Rock. And by the way, when they say Torah, they mean Talmud, not Torah. That's not Yahweh's Torah. King Abdullah of Jordan, you know, dressed in his formal military uniform, which is a clear message that shouts war is coming between Jordan and Israel said those who want to cooperate with Jordan on all levels cannot at the same time realize their vision of annexation the Judaization of Jerusalem and Jordan's status in the holy sites two hot button issues in Jordan that have even led to verbal disputes between the kingdom and Saudi Arabia are still on the agenda but the international struggle will from now on revolve around stopping the annexation Jordan held talks last week with European Union foreign ministers to inform them of the danger annexation poses. A European diplomatic source told Haaretz that Jordan is in a real panic, not only because of the breach of international law this move provokes, but also from the public response that could arise in Jordan, not to mention in the West Bank and Gaza. If Israel decides on annexation by the beginning of July. Avigdor Lieberman said, I found out a few days ago that during all the talk about annexing the Jordan Valley, Netanyahu sent a message to the king of Jordan saying, Don't worry, it's just the election talk. There won't be annexation. Likud was quick to issue a denial, but Jordan did not confirm or deny Lieberman's statement. But there's a problem with that, sir. The election is over. Didn't you hear? Oh, probably not. You didn't get selected for a ministerial office. But meanwhile, senior U.S. officials have also commented on the matter, including U.S. Ambassador David Friedman, who said that Washington would be ready for annexation within a few weeks. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who made a lightning visit to Israel on Wednesday, did not continue with a visit to Amman, nor did he say anything publicly that could calm King Abdullah. That's why you need to be paying attention, because if there's trouble from King Abdullah over the annexation, guess who's going to get involved? Gog. And guess who Gog is? Trump. You can go and research that on, I've written about that a lot on Beast Watch News. And by the way, the rabbis agree with me. I just, I just love it when the rabbis and I have something to agree on. The rabbis believe that the presidential office of the United States will produce Gog, back to the article. Moreover, Pompeo said that the question of annexation would be between Israel and the Palestinians and State Department spokesman Morgan Ortegas recited the mantra that it's important to turn back to President Trump's vision for peace and to bring all parties to the table to work toward this peace plan. Yeah, and blah, 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 blah. Was the coronavirus released to take attention away from the rise of Mystery Babylon? Prophetically speaking, the biggest change in governments happened in Israel during the COVID lockdown since the Revolutionary War. 
There are now plans to implement surveillance, mandating vaccinations, gun confiscation in the U.S. and worldwide where those things have not already happened. As you know, Netanyahu recently called for chipping of Israeli babies and he got some pushback from a few lesser-known rabbis. The globalists will say the vaccinations have nothing to do with religion. They will say the the mandated vaccines, when they come, will be about your health. That lie will come from the globalist elites who are falling in line with Mystery Babylon's Sanhedrin-led Knesset. Forced vaccinations are coming, folks. And President Donald Trump is stacking the mandated vaccine deck. The Jewish Antichrist is coming as well. The foundational government of Mystery Babylon is now in place and it is governing in Israel and America and the entire westernized nations. Believe it. By now, you should be convinced that the new unity government in Israel is actually a unity government between the Knesset and the Sanhedrin. And Israel is now run by the Sanhedrin, whose agenda is to make legislation that furthers the rise of Mystery Babylon and to pump money into that. The nascent Sanhedrin is comprised of the same wicked religious Jewish leaders that Yeshua, the apostles, and the Jewish and Gentile converts of the first century faced. The faces have changed. The names have changed. The wickedness has increased and our generation will face the same life and death trials under this new unity government. The Sanhedrin will only replace the current Knesset after the Jewish Messiah, the Antichrist, is revealed and sits as king of Israel and showing himself to be God by sitting on Yahweh's throne. Until such time, the Sanhedrin will rule only by influence, not election or public appearance. Thank you for listening to the Jerusalem Report on Beast Watch News. Full news coverage with a Hebraic perspective of the headlines fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember to financially and prayerfully support Beast Watch News for keeping you up to date. Send your donation to Beast Watch News today. It takes money to operate this ministry and your help is much appreciated. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.